Monday, May 28, 2018. This is Born to Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. Hope everybody is enjoying their Memorial Day. However you choose to appreciate the holiday, I hope that you will take a moment to remember those that paid the ultimate sacrifice for our country. On today's Benefits Breakdown edition of Born the Battle, we are going to talk about the Veterans Legacy Program. The Veterans Legacy Program partners with universities and colleges, creating opportunities for students and scholars to research the histories of veterans interred in their nearby National Cemetery. I thought this was appropriate content for Memorial Day. Bryce Carpenter, who is the Educational Outreach Programs Officer for the National Cemetery Administration here at the Department of Veterans Affairs, uh, joins me. He's a proud Army veteran. He has a history in education, and he's joined VA to uh, to help out this program and really make it valuable. We're going to talk about the Veterans Legacy Program and as its inception, how it's come to be, the value that it has, and the impact that he believes it has on the people that are researching it and that it's had on himself. Enjoy. I was a gunner's mate, Tonkin Golf. Logistics, Ramstein. Medic, Kandahar. As a veteran, it doesn't matter when or where you served. Infantry, Camp Pendleton. Or what you did. The VA has benefits that may be useful to you right now. See what VA can do for you. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. That's www.va.gov. Uh, Bryce Carpenter, what, what exactly is your, your title? What's your official title? My official title is the... Or you can make it up. You can give us an unofficial title if you, if you want to... Well, the non-federalese version is Program Manager of the Veterans Legacy Program. Okay. Very well. And, and, how, and you've, I feel like you've been around just almost as long as I have. A couple Co- years. A couple years, yeah? A couple years at VA. Okay. Um, what... Um, Let's let's start with your uh, let's start with veteran legacy program. Like what it is, if you had an elevator pitch on to someone on what it was, followed by what your role in it is. Sure. So the veterans legacy program is something that my agency within VA, that's the National Cemetery Administration, started in 2016. Um, And really it's just a way to connect more Americans to our statutory mission, which is to memorialize all veterans in our cemeteries. And there are 3.5 million veterans interred in VA's 135 national cemeteries. And so through the Veterans Legacy Program, we reach out to educational institutions, to community organizations, to veteran service organizations, uh, anybody who wants to partner with us to learn about and then share the story of veterans, uh, people who've worn the uniform and then come back um, and help build their communities. So NCA is, um, it does a lot for as little as it gets recognition for. I guess that's maybe the best way to, to describe it. And I always have a hard time ex- uh, uh, explaining how I feel about that uh, because I don't want to make it seem like it's forgotten about, but it's it's definitely... 
of the three, it's the one that most people, I think, forget is a part of VA. I guess I mean, that's the best way, best way to put it. But um, NCA has a great customer satisfaction rating. They do a lot of great, I mean, it's one of the more important parts of serving veterans, right, is is that final moment for them and their families on internment. And then like what you're talking about, the legacy program that makes sure that those stories continue to live on. What are some of the challenges that you have with the uh, with the Veterans Legacy Program in, um, you know, the veterans that I talk to are right in front of me and they can tell their own story, right. uh, whereas, you know, your veterans are not. So what, what are the challenges you have to face with that? Well, I think already, Tim, you hit on some of our, our strategic challenges. You know, we're the one, eight, one of the agencies within VA that doesn't have the word veteran in the name. And so just to remind the public that our cemeteries, our VA cemeteries, they're veteran cemeteries. So we do have a significant brand challenge there. Um, and just, you know, people drive by our cemeteries and they don't work and they just really don't know who's buried there, how they got there, what they did to, to deserve that. Uh, and so that's part of what the Veterans Legacy Program does too, just general outreach about the agency and the memorial benefits that we provide to eligible veterans and their spouses and dependents. Uh, but really it's just to, to also connect communities to those stories. Um, we have 135 cemeteries, approximately half are what we call closed. Uh, the gates are open every day of the year. That's not what that means. That means there's no more room to bury veterans. Um, but our nation, our Republic promises to take care of them, to memorialize them in perpetuity. That is the language in our, in our statute. And so this program, the Veterans Legacy Program is, is a new way to do that. And it's, it's, connected so intrinsically with VA's modernization efforts to modernize how we memorialize veterans, to find new ways to tell new stories, sorry, new ways to tell veteran stories to new audiences. And another thing about NCA is that because we're not like Arlington National Cemetery, which is not managed by VA, that's managed by Department of the Army, but it's one that the public knows. It's one that they recognize. And it is a unique national shrine and everybody should go there and, and pay their respects and learn from that site. But our cemeteries are everywhere else. They're in American hometowns, they're in communities. And so the Veterans Legacy Program is about telling community stories about veterans from hometown USA who wore the uniform and came back and then helped build those communities in, in after changing the world in some small way. And so unlike other federal programs that sponsor research or create educational opportunities, uh, we really are more of a template of engagement. Instead of mandating a specific approach and product. We invite universities and K-12 schools to just build on local interests and local strengths to tell these local veteran stories in locally meaningful ways. And so every one of these programs that we create around the country is, is entirely different. Uh, different kinds of academic fields, different kinds of interests, different eras of veterans. I mean, whatever the local interest is, uh, but we just partner with them to make sure that the communities are connected to those stories. So what, what, what mediums are you using? Is it, you mentioned educational programs that you have, but um, you have produced content um, that have gone through like our Vantage Point blog and other places. What, what mediums, what types of content are you creating to tell these stories? That's a great question. And if you ask me that question next month, the answer will change. And if you ask me six months from now, it'll change again. Uh, Veterans Legacy Program has quickly become, you know, the, lo the, the place within the agency where we manage innovation as well. Um, it started out as just a way to create educational products so that middle school and high school teachers can teach about veteran history. It's gone so much farther than that. As we've engaged with uh, professors and scholars of all kinds of disciplines, not just history, 
Like an example, we have uh, out of San Francisco State University, we have a documentary filmmaker, Dr. Daniel Bernardi, who's also a veteran, who's taking the work that history students do and then having his film students create short form documentaries about veterans' lives, veterans in our two national cemeteries in San Francisco. And all these materials end up on our website, but the website is not enough. And so something we're doing behind the scenes, but that will be available for the American public, hopefully a year from now, next May, uh, is creating a new uh, first of its kind online memorial platform. We'll come up with a better name for it, but it's, it's, it's a way <laughs> working to Working title. It's a working title, that's yeah. right. And internal, right, until this moment, I guess. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a way to give next of kin, to give survivors, dependents, siblings, a voice in how veterans are memorialized in the digital space. Because even though we have 135 national cemeteries, uh, they're not around the corner from everybody. Yeah. And we also want to enhance the on-site National Cemetery experience, as well as extend the National Cemetery experience to everybody's home, to their desktop, to a, a computer in a classroom, to everybody's smartphone or handheld device. And so we're working on creating this new platform to be where every single veteran can be memorialized. And it's also going to create a new way of engaging with national cemeteries through augmented reality and virtual reality projections of the cemetery so that that culture of service that you brought up that the cemetery staff do, and they are the best. And it's part of the reason why nobody knows about NCA because they carry out their work with humility, with dignified service, and so that when a family shows up at the cemetery in that moment of need, all they need is just a, you know, a DD-214 or it'll even help families find it and then they can carry out their work. And they're not used to making a big deal out of it, but that's the job of my program. So that the rest of the country knows the good work that they are doing that happens in national cemeteries every day. Yeah. And then to take that culture of service and extend it into our storytelling so that w these veterans are remembered. I mean, they wore you the uniform and whether that's in a time of conflict or in a time of peace, when they raise the right hand, nobody knows what's gonna come next. But they were they were there. They they, they they wore the uniform and they were willing to do whatever this country needed them to do. And they did. And because of that, they deserve this recognition. They deserve this memorialization. And that's what we're committed to doing. You mentioned that not all of these cemeteries are right around the corner from the people that want to visit them. And, it, and I think I've told you this before. When I was at um, you know the, the cemetery out in Hawaii, there was a World War II veteran who was there um, for the 75th commemoration of, of the Pearl Harbor attacks. And he, and so they, he went to the cemetery and visited a friend that he hadn't seen since they served together. And it was his first opportunity to get to visit, uh, that cemetery. So it was, it was hard for me to wrap my head around the idea that he had been holding on to this hope to, to visit his friend who was buried there for so long and finally just got that opportunity. Um, but not as most people aren't as lucky uh, to be able to visit uh, friends and family that are buried in cemeteries across the nation, across the pond and stuff like that. Um, so I think I think having a digital version of that that allows people to, you know, maybe get halfway there on that experience or, you know, maybe even all the way there based on what their expectations are and what they're what they need. Uh, I think that's really powerful. When you when you first started with the uh, the Veterans Legacy Program, what was your first vision that you had on what what this program was going to be and how people were going to experience it? That's a great question. Um and I still hold true to that vision. It, it doesn't go away. It's what drives how I execute the mission of, of my agency. 
uh, you know, I have, I've only been as VA almost as long as you have, yeah. we're about two years, but prior to coming to VA, I've, I've, I've been an educator, I've been a college professor, I've been a, a K-12 teacher and administrator. And, and so for me, the best way to memorialize with new communities is, is the young people, young Americans. And so the vision is to have students at the gravesite introducing even younger students to a veteran that they got to know through their research and legacy. And I got to see that in person for the very first time, even though I, I, you know, I work with professors at all these campuses and I learn about the research and they, they're so pleased to share with me these, I mean, amazing stories that come out all the time. Uh, but then to go last May for the first time to, to see students from the University of Florida in Florida National Cemetery in Bushnell, Florida, introducing local seventh graders to the veteran that they spent a college semester getting to know. And then just seeing those middle schoolers and all of a sudden realize, hey, who a veteran is, what they did, why they're important. And then they're happy that they met them. And it completely changed what a national cemetery was to these, to these young Americans. That's the vision just to see young people take ownership of this history and then just share it with each other proudly. Yeah. What, so what range of, are we talking about as early as the Civil War or, or is there a certain, what, what range of conflicts are we, are, are, are students typically learning about? Another really good question. Um, kind of two answers to that, which seem to conflict, but they don't. Uh, National memorialization, that is the practice of having national cemeteries for, for veterans, starts in the Civil War era. Uh, and there's great intrigue and you know, strange stories about how you know, President Lincoln eventually found appropriations and gave the order to General Montgomery Miggs to start this. But it also kind of started a little bit before, but it did start in the Civil War, 1862. Uh, but we do have cemeteries where some veterans have been interred from prior conflicts. I mean, even as early as the Revolution. But VA uh, inherited these cemeteries in 1973 formally. I mean, national cemeteries were managed by the Department, by the War Department, then Department of the Army. Uh, but then they became VA cemeteries in 1973. And then since then, we continue to expand to make sure we have enough cemeteries for all veterans who have earned the benefit. And so we're building maybe one or two a year in areas that are carefully chosen for veteran population and anticipated need. What, uh, what, what do you find most rewarding about this work? That's a, wow. Um, well, as an educator, but also as a veteran, I'm an army veteran, very proud of that. And, to see young students, to see undergrads, to see high schoolers, middle schoolers, all of a sudden understand, you know, what makes America unique in the world and what the role of the veteran is in American history, just to see them have that new awareness. Um, And it's not about seeing young people have to defer to veterans or put them on a pedestal that's artificially constructed, or it is just understanding how this country gets to be this country, how these freedoms are inherited, uh, what these values are. And politicians and political leadership always changes, but these these deeply American values persist. And to see young people see that and appreciate that in a new way through the veteran experience of any period, whether it's the, from the Civil War era or World War I or current conflicts, it's pretty powerful. And, and right now, we're, there's a lot of interest in some of our partners um, in World War One because of the centennial. 
And that provides an interesting challenge because, you know, most of us, you know, have an oral memory that goes back about three generations. We know what our grandparents experienced, but to go further back than that, we have to do the homework. Yeah. So for professors and teachers right now working in legacy and doing World War One, they, they have to, this is an opportunity for them to teach new research methods to their students who then have to learn about World War One veterans from their home state. And it just, now it puts a name and a face on a period of history that might otherwise not be as accessible. It might just be, uh, you know, a map with a bunch of arrows on it or something. But now, now it's got a human story connected to it. And not only are students understanding what the experience of World War One was, but how it was fought and won. Yeah. What uh, what year does, did you serve? Uh, as in the nineties. In the nineties. Yeah. And um, what what has what has either this program or other research and education that you've done on um, service and military and wars, how has that, has it impacted at all how you feel about your service? Like, has it give you a more profound look on the sense of service? Has it, uh, um, yeah, you could take that question wherever you want it. That's a, that's a, an interesting, a very personal question, which I'm happy to answer. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm Gen X, you know, like right there in the middle of that generation. And I think our veteran experience is unique. The Vietnam era veterans before us had a very different challenge. They never got their welcome home and, and they've struggled their whole life with what finally got a label PTSD. Every generation of veterans had it, but the Vietnam veterans had to struggle with a new form of that in a way that forced the medical community to, to, to recognize it. And they always struggled for that recognition and they still deserve that welcome home. And I always say that whenever I meet people who, who, who share that they served in Vietnam or that era. And then after the millennials and people who've served in, you know, the current conflicts in, in, in Afghanistan and Iraq, you know, they, they're serving in a very pro-veteran uh, climate and they come home and there's yellow ribbons everywhere and military discounts and, and a lot of positive recognition. And I think the Gen X veteran experience with, with the brief exception of Desert Storm was really just kind of an anonymous veteran experience. You know, it was never an asset to have a veteran status on a job application. It's not a detriment either. It's just something that got you a little side eye, if you know what I mean. And so, so for me, I've, I've, doing this has kind of allowed me to really come to terms with my, my own veteran experience in a very new way. And, and just to see what it means to young Americans who are learning about it for the first time, what it means to have worn the uniform and raise the right hand and then do whatever comes after that. Um, it's just kind of helped me sort of reflect on that in a new way. Um, is what attracted you to this program, like, or, or attracted to wanting to work at VA? Was it um, your own veteran status? Was it interest in the subject matter? Were you just ready for a career transition? With like, what actually brought you into this position? Well, I think all those things. Um, but you know, I, I think back to you know, when I was a university professor, and I, I'd always be the only person in the room who was a veteran, uh, and you know, people sort of look at me with, with interest, almost curiosity, like, like, a, like I'm a research subject, oh, you're a veteran, and <laughs> yeah, you went to graduate school and became a professor, that's, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting. Um, there were, I had more in common with some of my students, um, you know, who were, who were in the guard or reserve, or, um, or when I was a professor and they're coming back from the, the first era of, our, of our, the, the second war in Iraq. Um, or some who didn't, and I had to go to their funerals. Um, I guess it's just always been something in me that I, uh, you know, I could never let go of, I never wanted to. 
And, and so as an educator and as a veteran, it just, this was the right opportunity at the right time to be both, to be hundred percent a veteran and hundred percent an educator and to create opportunities that I know would be attractive to university senior leadership and provide research opportunities for, for junior faculty and senior faculty to create new and innovative ways for K-12 teachers to do something within this rigid standards climate that they have to operate and ultimately to impact young people to, to engage with this content through something so local and so uh, personal and understand their history in a new way. How do you think, um, how do you think learning about the personal stories of these veterans versus just the the history of the conflicts is influencing young people when it comes to their perspective and their views on the military? Also a great question. Um, a, lot, a lot of times when I put out, when I socialize this idea in the research community, in the university community, you know, the first wave of interest usually comes from military historians. So then I kind of have to push that back and say, that's actually not what we're interested in. Uh, you know, center of military history, you know, in the Department of the Army, they would be. We're interested in veteran history. We're interested in what happens next when they take the uniform off. Um, or if they, you know, paid the ultimate sacrifice in service, then what happens with their families, the survivors, the children, the spouses? That's who we're interested in. So then the next wave of interest comes from social historians. People are interested in telling the stories of people in all areas of society, not just the generals and the admirals. But, you know, the, the, the corporals and lieutenants and, and gunnery sergeants and, I mean, everybody, you know, without discrimination from every part of America to make sure that everybody's service is recognized and validated and included in the American veteran narrative. Um, when, we, when we sat down and talked, I told you this was going to be a quick conversation. And <laughs> my, the, my curiosity got the best of me and I just got the questions rolling. Um, what... Um, if someone if someone listening is is fascinated or interested in what you're talking about, they're history buffs. They like learning about veterans and their stories. Um, I mean, obviously, we're here to promote the Veteran Legacy Program. But what are like if someone should just was inspired by this, like you know what, I'm gonna go visit my local cemetery. Like, what are ways that they can they can uh, learn about the the names that they see on these headstones? You know, that's, um, I get that question a lot, and I wish the answer were simpler, and that's also something that I would like to change. Um, it's complicated. Uh, if a veteran has been deceased for 62 years or more, then all of their service records are now public, publicly available, publicly accessible. That's just decided by 62 federal. years? Yes. That's and that, a, that's a, is it an arbitrary number? That or? is an arbitrary number. Okay. And so then their records become... Um, they, they get sent to the National Archives and Records Administration, and then there's a process that you can go through through their agency and how to request copies of those records. But if a serviceman or veteran hasn't been deceased for that long, they're still protected by various privacy statutes, and the records are under the custodianship of the Office of Military Personnel Files and DOD. And I can go on with more alphabet soup of federal agencies and who's got the records at which point and when and how they get transferred. And the point is that it's complicated, and I and I and I. And I feel great empathy uh, to to Americans who want to do this themselves, who are inspired, who see like gr this great energy and passion coming out of these large programs in schools and universities, and they just want to do it themselves, because those are also our customers. You know, the uh, the, the amateur genealogist, the Civil War buff, uh, 
you know, the military historian who just wants to learn about what their, their grandpa did in Korea or Vietnam or something and just wants to go farther. How can they find out more? It's not easy. Uh, but that's something we're trying to change too. But I would say the good first step, if you live near a national cemetery, just go into the national cemetery and talk to anybody in, in the building, the what we call the administrative building, the admin building, and just say, you'd like to learn more and they can connect you with the Veterans Legacy Program. And if you're not near a national cemetery, just Google Veterans Legacy Program until you get to the webpage for my program and then just email us. Because even though our, our primary and largest and most visible piece of the legacy program is is working with schools and universities but really what we're trying to do in our challenge space is to get past that that's an engine to drive visibility and development of of these materials for americans to enjoy but really our goal is to get to anybody who's interested and wants to share with us in our mission of memorializing veterans Wow, that was uh, you. You hit on uh, what what much of my final question was going to be on how people can get involved with with what you're doing. But it, it seems like you, um, you you were ahead of me on that. Um, I do have a question for you, and you're in. Um, you can choose not to answer it, and I'll edit this out of out of the questioning. <laughs> but I know a lot of I know a lot of veterans that served in the same era that you did have pause on talking about their service because it is in between these two eras of significance. Is that something that you experienced at all? Yeah. And Again, you can hear and you can hear my pause, right? Sure. And so and so <laughs> to talk about how other like veterans of the 90s and probably also the 80s feel, you know, I guess feeds into the likely response. Uh, because the post 9-11 veterans are just, you know, they get great support and great recognition and they should, they absolutely deserve it. And the Vietnam veterans, like every, you know, since the eighties, I mean, you know, our, our government, not just VA, but all kinds of parts of the government just been trying to do more to make up and, and to recognize you know, the unique hardships of serving in that conflict and to recover from it. And they deserve all of that too. And not to say that military service is ever easy, but you know, in the late Cold War, the, the you know, to serve in the infantry like I did, man, doing a lot of things that never made it on CNN, and yeah. uh, you know, so you, you don't really get to broadcast what you did, and so to so talk about it or highlight it, it sounds like you're stamping your foot and saying, "No, me too." Right. Uh, and and it actually kind of defeats the ethos. It goes against the very ethos you were that was instilled in you, like down at basic training in Fort Benning is you know you just go about your service, you follow your orders, you do it humbly, and then you wait for the next mission. And uh, so to sort of kind of cry for attention is just not, I think, what I'm personally used to, and I guess maybe other veterans of my era. Uh, but it was just a different policy climate, and the military was, you know, when President Clinton was in, 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 the, in the, the Cold War, at least the part with the Soviet Union, I mean, when it was, they decided to make the military smaller and uh, more nimble and more responsive. And it was. And the U.S. military is doing all kinds of things. And uh, I think every veteran's got a story. But, you know, sometimes, you know, you raise the right hand and you end up in a unit that's just going to be at Fort Riley. And that's where you do your enlistment. But you wake up every morning wondering where you're going to go to sleep at night. And so there is something about just wearing the uniform at any period that I think just connects all veterans. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you. Uh, you. Uh, entertaining my uh, my questions as I se- seem to jump back and forth between uh, your time in and, and the veteran legacy program, um, Bryce. In in closing, is there anything about the program uh, that we haven't mentioned yet, or something that you want just want to reiterate before we close out? Well, it's um, 
like I said, really the Veterans Legacy Program is trying to do two things at once. And, uh, but it's, it is really the same thing, is, is while we're reaching out to educational institutions uh, and to American communities to partner with us to tell these veteran stories. And really that is what it's about. It's about the partnership. It's not about just you know, hiring more historians to document these things. It's about you know, getting communities to tell their own stories of their own veterans. But then also in order to, to, to showcase that work in a way that, you know, in the way that it deserves, in the way that would be engage, engaging for, for most Americans these days, we have to develop a digital baseline that's compatible with the rest of how Americans live their lives these days. And we just didn't have that when, when I started at Legacy. And so that's why we're developing and managing a lot of innovative products that, you know, we're, we're getting out there as soon as we can, but not until they're ready. I mean, this is quick, but very thoughtful development. And we're going to completely change the National Cemetery experience, and we're going to be able to bring it down to everybody's desktop or handheld device. But it's also going to enhance the on-site National Cemetery experience, too. So what i like people to think about with this program is, you know, since we're doing this, since we're going out and trying to tell the stories, what are stories we're not telling? And how can we make it more accessible and more engaging? We're always open to that. These cemeteries belong to the American public. VA is just custodians of them. This is American history and whatever we can do to tell American history in a, the best way possible. That's, that's how we want to serve. Perfect. Bryce Carpenter, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Tim. <laughs>